And welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. Today is Wednesday and therefore it is your questions answered. So we just go straight in, slamming straight into these questions. We have loads and it's a tweet from Guardiola Holic. Liverpool's winning, surly, but I think he means surely, places all the pressure on City for the title race. Can anyone really see them dropping points in their final five games if they beat Chelsea? Ian, what do you reckon? Um, I can see Guardiola Holic's point, although he may well have been swelling a bit too much on Guardiola um, to think that Liverpool will not be under pressure, <clears throat> um, even if they do beat Chelsea. Uh, like Chelsea's their most difficult game, but it is at home uh, this coming Sunday, um, which, you know, we know if they win that, then that is effectively their most potentially difficult opponent. But titles are not always won and lost against the teams that you think. Um, just ask the great Brendan Rodgers <clears throat> about Crystal Palace um, in uh, when he came closest to winning a title with Liverpool. Um, and even... Um, of course, the infamous Stevie Gerrard slip in the game at Anfield against Chelsea um, when Chelsea won that match as well. So while Manchester City have arguably the harder running, Liverpool are the team who don't have players who've won the league, who have the weight of expectation of the whole Scouse nation on their shoulders. So even with uh, you know what is considered um, you know a more kind uh, set of fixtures in, in the next four weeks. I'm not sure that it's going to play out that way. And in fact, if anything, you ask a f- professional footballer, it's slightly easier to raise your game against an opponent like Chelsea than it is against a team that have got nothing to play for, like Huddersfield Town, um, on a Friday night match, as they do on the 26th of April at Anfield. Um, Huddersfield have got a free hit. Uh, you know, why wouldn't they want to be uh, have an historic um, influence in what has been the closest title race in Premier League history. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not quite as straightforward um, as our listener has, has made out. But I think um, the case for Manchester City will be will be put by Duncan um, with regards to the relative fixtures. Look, I think if you look at Liverpool's fixtures, Chelsea's obviously... Um, a difficult one because Chelsea need those points for the Champions League. The question there is, does Maurizio Sarri go pragmatic as he did in a couple of games earlier this season? If he does, I think that's a really tough game for Liverpool. Cardiff are probably still playing for Premier League survival and at home. Um, so don't expect that to be a walk in the park. Uh, Huddersfield, you'd expect them to win, I think. As you say, they get a free hit, but they're Huddersfield are terrible, so if Liverpool drop points there, then that really would be disaster time. Newcastle against Rafa Benitez. Um, I don't think anyone gets an easy easy um, ride at, at St James Park. And um, the, the FA Cup semi-final result, I don't think, did Liverpool any favours in terms of that last Premier League game against Wolves, because that will now be Wolves' last match of the season, 
There'll be no uh, consideration for them of resting players for an FA Cup final and a very good chance that they're playing for um, a Europa League place themselves. So none of them, apart from Huddersfield, are pushovers. Um, and just go back to what I've said on multiple occasions, which is Liverpool aren't playing very well at the moment. If you look at the last three fixtures, um, they should have dropped points at Fulham. Um, a goalkeeper deciding he was more interested in, in doing some wrestling than playing football. Got them a penalty there. Um, Hugo Lloris effectively threw the ball in the net to get them uh, two extra points against Tottenham in a game that they could easily have lost. And then at Southampton, they go a goal down uh, to a team who probably had the better of the first half, had an opportunity to go 2-0 up. And then they get yet another um, goal from an incorrect refereeing decision to get them back in the match. Played well second half, uh, deservedly won in the end, but um, you, they could easily have come out of those three fixtures with as little as three points. Um, and if they had dropped points in any of them, then Manchester City are big favourites to win the title. So until they start playing convincing, dominant football, which they haven't done with the exception of the Bayern Munich game this year, I don't see them as having an easy ride to anything. Um, and on the strength of the way they've been playing, you would expect them to drop points at some, at some stage. Therefore, the question becomes, can Manchester City sustain their form, which is very good. Um, you know, they've, they've had a succession of matches where they're scoring in the first 10 minutes uh, quite often putting the game to bed in the first half, allowing themselves to um, rest on the ball, uh, to bring players off, um, allowing themselves, uh, when Sergio Aguero has um, a muscle strain in the match, to immediately come off the pitch and be rested for the next couple of games and reserved for um, important fixtures. Yes, they have more, uh, they have tougher games, um, and they have uh, potentially more games to play um, because of the FA Cup final um, if they uh, go further in the Champions League. Um, they could have more games off the back of that, but that's obviously a possibility for Liverpool too. But they are in the position to win the title at present in terms of uh, points recorded and games left. And they're certainly in the position in terms of, as Ian says, experience of winning it, um, depth of squad and playing the better football um, at present. So um, I think, yeah, summation of that is they're still in, in the strongest position as far as I'm concerned. Duncan, I'm very much hoping that you're not wearing gym trainer's Harry Potter glasses and inferring conspiracy theory amongst goalkeepers to make sure Liverpool win the league. No, no, there's no conspiracy theory there. It's just, uh, they've, you know... They've uh, you're right, it's factual. <laughs> it's not conspiracy. Yeah. It's actually there. Uh, Liverpool, Liverpool have eight extra points because goalkeepers have, have thrown um, goals in the net uh, at, at various matches this season. So um, that's just good fortune. Uh, simple as that. And the spoken um, of wheels, it, per, per, obviously, potentially is... The Manchester Derby at Old Trafford on Wednesday, 24th of April. Um, let me just uh, flag up to listeners that we are hopeful, and I say no more than hopeful, that we will have the Manchester United former captain and legend 
uh, Mr. Darren Fletcher on the podcast to give us his views on that game. So look out for that one as we as we come over the next couple of weeks. Um, but I think that's maybe that that's going to be obviously a pivotal evening for Manchester City regarding their attempts to retain the title. Okay, guys, well, this one's for Ian. You've known Duncan for a number of years, so perhaps you best place to answer this. It's from uh, El Geo Fulfill, whatever that means. Why is Duncan such a weirdo? I could answer this question in so many ways, Johnny. But, <laughs> but the, one, the one that I'm going to choose is because he is almost always right. That's why it's weird. He, um, he's the most diligent, hardworking and uh, trusted journalist, I think, out there right now, um, without putting too much polish on his baldy napper. Um, I was thinking but, about polish somewhere else, to be honest. Uh, well, you have your own fantasies about Duncan. I'll, I'll keep my, I'll keep to mine. Um, and that's why he's weird because he he speaks the truth. He gives insight analysis, which is um, uh, excellent uh, on all occasions. Um, he's very considerate in what he says. And in an era uh, where um, journalism is being overtaken by people who shout the loudest to try and get their opinion heard, Duncan, I think, is a sanctuary for the sane. And I think that's one of the reasons why our listeners um, love him so much and value his opinion so much. And even um, Ulala uh, FFS, our man who asked a question, I think will um, certainly come round to that point of view. Johnny McFarlane approves this message. <laughs> and can we just say no other Duncan Castles are available? <laughs> Apart from my dad. <laughs> Right, we're going to move on now to a topic a little bit more serious from Rich Metcalf at Rich Mets. He's asked, despite Manchester United Football Club losing to Wolves last week, I was really impressed by the continued improvement of Scott McTominay. It says a lot about United's midfield that he's standing out at the moment. Do you think he has the talent to become a fixture in United's starting eleven? I think he has to develop a good deal to become a fixture in the starting eleven. But, you know... He's at a very early stage of his career and he's not played that many um, Premier League games yet. So it's not impossible. Um, there's a reason why he was identified um, by Jose Mourinho to promote into the team and a reason why he trusted him. Um, you know, the Part of that is the physique he has. Um, so he's, he covers a lot of ground. He's reasonably quick and he's big, uh, which is an advantage, particularly in a, a Mourinho midfield. But he's also a good decision maker. Um, he's an efficient, um, tidy midfield player. Um, and I, as Ole, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer pointed out after he scored his goal, um, he started off as a forward player. So he has um, that ability at the other end of the pitch if he's put in positions um, to shoot and uh, head at goal to score. So, you know, if you add all of those factors together, that's a lot of, of uh, tick boxes and what you'd want from uh, a midfielder. And I, and I think, you know, it has to be noted that Mourinho um, gets a lot of criticism for not promoting academy players. It's one of the standard um, complaints about Mourinho as a manager, which factually isn't correct. Um, you can go through a list of players he has um, brought through at all the clubs he's managed. He doesn't play many of them um, overall, uh, 
mainly because uh, of the way he trains um, his, his teams uh, and the fitness element being one in which he maintains players and avoids muscle injuries. So he's not been forced to put lots of academy players into his selections as some managers like um, Louis van Gaal have when you know we had the, the discovery of Marcus Rashford essentially because I think seven, eight, nine of Manchester United's first team were injured for a game and van Gaal had to, to throw Rashford in and he scored a goal. See, sometimes there's a, an artificiality about um, promoting youth. But when Mourinho does land on a player he likes, he's not scared to play him and he's not scared to promote him. And you have, uh, you're seeing some of the results in McTominay um, and his ability to perform in multiple positions in midfield. And whether he becomes a fixture in the United starting 11 for next season, I'm not sure. I think that depends. As we, we talked about on Monday, Pogba trying to move to Real Madrid. Herrera's already um, signed a pre-contract with Paris Saint-Germain. Juan Mata's in discussions with Barcelona. So there could be three places there available uh, in principle. Um, United, I'm told, are looking for two midfielders. Um, one of them, uh, if Herrera leaves, I think they, they're still not absolutely clear that is leaving. But um, that's Herrera's position, he will leave. So they're looking for um, a number eight and a holding midfielder. Um, again, depends who they sign. Depends uh, what targets they're able to get, what kind of uh, money they invest in those positions. Um, how happy Solskjaer is with the players they sign. But um, you'd have to say there's an opportunity for McTominay if two or three of Manchester United's senior midfielders leave and he continues to perform for Solskjaer toward, uh, at the end of this season. I'm reminded of um, the <clears throat> rather sarcastic um, uh, thank yous that Gary Neville, Gary Neville even, um, kept sending to Chelsea when um, Nemanja Matic joined Manchester United in 2017 and became the outstanding midfielder um, that year for the club. And uh, it was thought to be such a massive mistake um, from Chelsea that they would have sold what turned out to be one of the best players in a rival team. And McTominay reminds me very much of Matic uh, in stature, in mentality, in um, the way that he likes to play the game. Nothing's ever fancy. It's simplified. Um, he likes to pass the ball short and sure, uh, but he can also get forward. Uh, and Matic did that occasionally and scored some wonderfully uh, crafted goals as a result. But I agree with Duncan in terms of coaching. But from what I hear um, about McTominay, from those close to him, from teammates, he is um, someone who is willing to learn, willing to be coached and uh, someone who uh, can improve uh, and, and wants to improve and is ambitious as a footballer and wants to do everything he can to achieve his potential. Therefore, I don't see any reason why he doesn't have a future at Manchester United. Um, because remember, so many um, midfielders of his age have you know, made a breakthrough season at Old Trafford and then their career has gone a little bit astray uh, after that and they've ended up just basically disappearing and going to rival clubs and effectively, you know, disappearing off the face of the earth. I don't see that with McTominay, but he does need to focus when he does need uh, the right manager and coaching staff behind him, which I don't see why um, he doesn't have that right now. Um, 
there's a, a nice um, sort of blend of experience and also um, young coaches currently at Manchester United who will both be able to relate and um, give their experience to him. So as long as he applies himself, and as I said, I've heard he's a hard worker, then I don't see why he can't become someone who is a mainstay of the Manchester midfield, especially as we've discussed with the potential departures of Mata, Herrera, um, Pogba even possibly as well. There's opportunity from there for game time and he needs to grab that. I think I think the comparison with Matic is a good one because Matic was a, an attacking midfielder um, when he was first discovered uh, and signed by Chelsea and moved further back and uh, excelled further back because he has um, that ability on the ball coupled with you know intelligence and decision making. So it's similar to, to the way McTominay's career has um, has gone so far. And I think we should also say that you know um, Alex McLeish has done a a great job for Scotland in. When Josie Mourinho um, pushed McLeish to come and talk to McTominay in person and persuade him to make the decision to play for Scotland rather than England, um, and when Gareth Southgate didn't bother coming to to speak to McTominay and just uh, just sent him a text message, instead um, Scotland have ended up with a, with a player you know who's already got over forty appearances for Manchester United, uh, you know, at age. Um, 22 and uh, and has a lot of potential ahead of them. So uh, it's a major plus that um, we have a player like that in the squad going forward. And maybe he can be a maybe he can go on to have as as successful a career as Darren Fletcher had um, from a, a similar uh, background in Manchester United. Okay, we've got a question from at Sevilla Warning. Um, he's asked. With the sales of Lucas Hernandez and potentially Godin, Saul and Rodri, is it fair to say that Atleti's run under Simeone has had its best point now unless they go away to do something amazing in the transfer market? I think this is a very good question and I think it is a big issue at Atletico Madrid at present. Um, they've given Simeone a new contract, uh, making him one of the best paid uh, coaches in world football and uh, there is a real feeling around that club that Simeone's stay um, at Atleti has run its course, um, that the extremely demanding uh, managerial style, which has been so successful for them, uh, has worked so well for them in, in, in domestic and particularly European competition and, and created a uh, a team that I think every one of the big clubs in Europe fear playing um, has now tired a lot of the key players out um, and is not getting the same response in terms of performances on the field as it um, as it did. Um, it should definitely be noted that um, Atleti invested a lot of money in this season. Um, handing out new contracts, very, very lucrative contracts um, to players such as Griezmann. Um, they have an extremely high wage bill for, for that club by historical standards and, and very high compared to uh, the revenue the club generates. And there was an expectation that they would deliver this season off the back of it, which they haven't done. And yes, you see players like Lucas Hernandez leaving. Uh, deciding to leave, albeit for a big transfer fee. Um, Godin has been looking at, at, at leaving. Um, 
I'm not sure Saul Niguez will, will leave this summer. I think that's um, that would require Atletico uh, to make a decision to cash in on one of their greatest assets in midfield. Um, Rodri, um, as we discussed um, on Monday's podcast, is definitely in danger because of the release clause is accessible, easily accessible in an era where um, good uh, central midfielders are automatically valued at 100 million euros by the clubs that own them um, to uh, to sides such as Manchester City who are, are interested in, in signing Rodri. Um, and you have Griezmann, um, Ian's favourite scaredy cat Griezmann, um, actively putting it out that he's uh, considering his future at Atletico with even suggestions that he would take a pay cut um, to go to Barcelona um, and take up the offer that he decided to, uh, he didn't want to take last summer. So yeah, it, it is a ve- very delicate time for them and it's interesting that they have uh, decided to support the manager and invest in the manager when people around the club are saying that the manager, um, not that he's doing a bad job, but just that he might be the, the problem in terms of uh, taking the team forward uh, at, at this stage. For a club that's landlocked, they've got two anchors around their neck here. Um, and one of them is uh, the manager who, as Duncan points out, has already signed a new contract, long-term contract. Um, Simeone is very clever at making um, he out of uh, his CV popularity uh regarding offers from other clubs to take him when in actual fact um, his personality, his way of managing puts a lot of clubs off. Um, there's certainly been a lot of interest in him over the last five years, but interestingly, no firm offers and no move, which speaks for itself. The other anchor, of course, is the wonderful Wanda Metropolitano Stadium, which um, has come in at a huge cost, although not as much as Spurs, but um, is also something which Atletico Madrid are paying for um, in terms of loans, etc. So the decision for Atletico Madrid has to be stick with Simeone and invest in new players or decide to go down a different route, a different philosophy, bring in a new coach, possibly from within the club. Um, Atletico do have a very good record of bringing through players, younger players, not all of them from their own academy, but certainly players who have been brought into their academy and then introducing them into the first-team squad and then being successful. And then, of course, they have made great um, profits from sales of uh, players like Kun Aguero and Diego Costa, uh, David De Gea in the past uh, with regards to you know cashing in and therefore fi- being able to finance both investment in the club and in new contracts or, or new signings, etc. But, um, yeah, this, what was supposed to be a, you know, this grand and brave new era in the new stadium... Um, has turned out to be a little bit of a damp squib. And the club itself needs to have a look at its finances, a look at um, Simeone, is he... You know, all, all managers, all managers don't care. You know, Ferguson and Wenger eventually succumbed to a cycle of perceived failure which or, or age, which saw them leave the clubs. And they are the two longest-serving managers in European club football um, uh, in, well, the last 20 years, certainly. So, Simeone has seen out several coaches at Barcelona and Real Madrid, his main rivals, 
and um, has done that successfully. But, as I said, it's a new, meant to be a new era for Atletico, um, new stadium and also a new era of success um, built upon the success that Simeone has brought them in the last seven years. So, yeah, they need to um, make a decision about how this is going to play out and um, and make it soon because if they don't, then there's a very, very um, grave possibility that we'll all just decline slowly and poorly uh, over the course of next season or maybe even the season after that and, and they have a much harder problem to solve then. OK, it's Wednesday, so it's time for the Donkey Awards. As usual, I will give the category, Ian will give us the nominations, and Mr Duncan Castles will decide who gets the award named in his honour. So today, it's the Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May Award for the most ineffective partnership in football. Ian, who are the nominations? One of my favourites, again, I, I love the fact that we're, um, that's me just obviously tearing open the golden envelope, uh, consistent with our brilliant political analogies, um, much better than the ERG in terms of our analogies. You know, we don't go for biblical references, nor indeed the far right in Germany. So um, it's my uh, great pleasure to uh, say that the first one, uh, we're going to roll back the years a little bit, eight years ago, to um, Manchester versus Chelsea, when a pairing of John Terry much heralded as probably the best centre-back of the Premier League generation, was um, lined up with Branislav Ivanovic, who has been much vaunted as the best right-back of the Premier League era, but at this point put in central defence. Manchester United 3, Chelsea 1 was the result. It was a disaster. It could have been Manchester United 7, uh, if not more. So um, ineffective partnerships. That one was a bit of a surprise because both good footballers but just couldn't uh, get it together, much like uh, May and Corbin. Uh, the second nomination is uh, fairly straightforward and self-explanatory, and that is Alexis Sanchez and everyone. I'm just going to leave it there. And uh, this third one is uh, the great Carlo Ancelotti, uh, one of the most um, sort of revered and favoured coaches in, in world football, who was, had foisted upon him as an assistant manager the then sporting director, Michael Emanalo, uh, after the sacking of his trusted number two, Ray Wilkins, God rest his soul, um, who uh, Ancelotti wasn't even informed about he was being sacked. And uh, it was discovered um, very quickly. Um, and um, unusually, because Chelsea obviously had overlooked this, that Emanalo did not have the um, called upon and required coaching badges to even be an assistant coach of a Premier League club. So I hand over to you, Mr Castles, to uh, give us your um, views and indeed the winner. Uh, three very strong teams uh, in terms of winning this award. Obviously not very strong teams in, in any other sense. Um, I, I like Ivanovic and, and John Terry being asked to play a high line, um, probably the slowest centre-back partnership in Premier League history, um, being exposed to the, the Red Devils and... Uh, and sent to hell as a result. Um, Alexis Sanchez obviously um, has a strong case here, but uh, for in terms of um, appalling appointments and uh, and directorial decisions, Michael Emanalo being imposed upon Carlo Ancelotti, um, Ray Wilkins being sacked without consulting a manager who'd won the Premier League title the previous season, and uh, placing a man whose previous coaching position had been as um, in charge of a girls' team at Tucson Soccer Academy, 
um, an outstanding um, piece of Roman Abramovich genius. And for that reason, it gets this week's award. In MNL's defence, Duncan, he was in charge of the Tucson Academy under-12s girls team. I think we've got to, you know, make sure that people know that detail so that we can see just how, you know, qualified he was to be assistant coach at Chelsea. The people of Merseyside are just happy they're not getting another donkey, to be fair. <laughs> well, we are. I'm sure, I'm sure you are, Johnny, because you have to package one up and send it. Yes. It's costing <laughs> this podcast a fortune, those um, recorded deliveries. This well, one's going to Moscow, isn't it? Or No, no, it's... Um be Tel Aviv this one going to yeah so he moved has he uh, he was at Monaco the last time uh, I recall but obviously that was a failure so now he's no no Emmanuel has been long since sacked from uh, from the, the, the first job he actually was appointed on and his merits uh, by Monaco I'm referring to Roman Abramovich who uh, oh. had, who no longer attends Chelsea games but has a um, citizenship in Israel of course well on that note, we shall call it a day. Um, we will be back on Friday, as usual, to fulfil all your podcasting needs. Uh, to continue the debate, we are all on Twitter. We even have our own Transfer Window account at Transfer Podcast. And if you want to speak to any of us, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane. Ian is at Garbo SG and Duncan is at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Friday... Thanks for listening.